This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to the podcast. We're sorry that we didn't have a podcast last Friday, but the person that told you there wouldn't be one last Friday is here with me now. Chance is back. I am here. It's, I'm, I'm really glad you are, man. I mean, I, here's the thing. I'm bummed that Paul can't be with us. He is still in rest your voice mode, and he's still coughing, and he's still fighting some nastiness. So it's, it's yeah. nasty, but that's why he's not here with us. Yep. And did you notice there's a 911 in the driveway? I did. It looked very green today when I pulled did it. Did it? Yes. It, it's your, always fun your, pulling your up multi-color, to it. multi-changing 911 is here and back and loud and running. <laughs> yes. Uh, I got it back in January. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was February. But I've put about 3,000 miles on it so far. It's okay. been fantastic. Good. Good. I'm the, glad to hear it. Over the weekend, I put my summer tires on it. Oh. And that's, I love that car. Well, yeah, it has to be. Better. <laughs> what, what summers are you running on that? PS4s. Okay. All right. And, uh, and we actually started the Great Melt. Over the past week, and things are uh, summer has like hit us like a brick wall. It, it, my Kinda. driveway went from completely covered and couldn't drive down it to I have no snow. Well, what's crazy is what was it a week ago? Maybe it was two. We had a record high down in the valley of eighty degrees. See, we we haven't seen anything like that in five months up here. But it, it, we're in the middle of the Great Melt, so we're trying to figure out where all the water goes. So it's the opposite problem that we had when I before I left for vacation. I, I was just on a vacation. I was on that vacation that you don't want to take as a parent. Okay, okay. we're going to take a monster road trip with our child. Okay. Now, luckily, I only have one child, and he's thirteen now, so that helps. He's, and he has he's a phone. Old enough that he's so not that, that too helps. Obnoxious. But uh, but we did uh, two thousand two hundred and thirty one miles round trip. Wow. We did a loop. If you want to think about it in terms of a map, we left Park City. We went to San Francisco. Then we went down to Carmel. Uh-huh. Then we went down to Solvang. Then we went to Anaheim because, of course, Disneyland and Star Wars stuff. And then Vegas and then home. So it was a loop. We never went back through any part of it, which is actually really cool. Yeah. So more than 2,200 miles. We averaged 22 miles to the gallon, which I consider a score in the new Cayenne. That's not bad. And the new Cayenne was wonderful. New, new to us, of course. This It was wonderful. The 2017 was great on this trip. I'm sure, yeah. We had so much fun in that car. It was just the perfect car. Plus, I could hunker it down. I could go sport mode and sport plus for the PCH, the good part. Uh-huh. You know, like the, yeah. the, the, the big yeah, yeah. surf stuff. I'm gunning people down and, and <laughs> throwing it into corners. It was wonderful. So we had a fantastic family road trip. We got to see all kinds of things. We had, I am quite proud to say, a very successful, non-stressful day at Disneyland, which I have been to Disneyland. Disney multiple times with my son and various assortments of grandparents. And it is always, I don't know another way to put it, hateful, <laughs> just just horrible. You know, the happiest place on earth is only on the sign because yeah. it's just terrible. We happened to have an overcast day, so we weren't sweating through our clothes. We waited in very few lines because we were very strategic about where we went when and their new weird go fast line, whatever. We did 15 rides in one day. Wow. We good? Were, yes, the t- I, the I haven't av- been since av- like three. The so. average is, I looked it up. The average is eight or nine. We did 15. Okay. I looked up the average afterward. It wasn't like we were trying <laughs> to beat something. We walked 17 miles, did 15 rides. We were in the park for about 10 hours. 17 miles. 17 miles. I'm, I'm an outdoor guy. I think about how far I would get on a hike in 17 miles. 
Yeah. This was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and right. forth. But we had a great family vacation, so we've been gone. I am back now. Paul, unfortunately, still under the weather, but he is healing rapidly. He'll be back with us. We have many, many things to talk about. We have a good topic Tuesday. We have a really good car debate. But we also have upfront stuff to discuss, and something that was just released before this podcast came out, I have to at least mention. <clears throat> Buick. Ah, yes. Has decided to add yet another five-seat crossover to the world of crossovers. Now, this is the one market that seems to never have enough, that seems to have more than it than ever possibly should, and they continue to sell. But Buick has released the Invista, because everything at Buick has to start with an E. Right. Uh, also Lotus. Lotus is better, though. Anyway, <laughs> it's a $24,000 compact crossover. If you look at this thing, it looks like they had a Urus and mm-hmm. an Audi Q8 on the wall and Kinda, said yeah. go. Yeah, I can see that. Definitely looks Urus from the front. For sure, for Absolutely. sure. But of course, $24,000 means it's trying to be their entry-level SUV. And, and for twenty four grand, I have to clarify this, you get a massive 1.2 liter. Is that the smallest engine being made in, in the U.S. right now? 1.2 liter turbocharged <laughs> three-cylinder. That means that the GR Corolla motor is bigger than this. The Prius this is motor is bigger than that. Fair point. So 1.2 liter turbocharged three-cylinder making 136 horsepower and 162 pound-feet of torque. And I believe I read somewhere that the zero to 60 is close to two digits. <laughs> oh, no. So it's front-wheel drive only. So uh, this is as entry-level as it gets, and I am struggling, struggling well, to see the point. You know what else? Paul was just in here before we were recording. And we were talking about how the headlights kind of have C8 Corvette vibes to them. They do, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of that that C8, the Corvette SUV crossover thinking that people are all yeah. freaking out over. We think there may be one coming. We'll see, yeah. Yeah, there was there's that a PR photo that, that GM did a little while ago with all the electric stuff. And mm-hmm. you just see glowing headlights is all you really see in silhouettes. True, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the background, there is kind of a C8-esque looking crossover thing mm. that you can only see. I'm wondering if that's what this is. Interesting point. I mean, you're right. Hiding in the background, this could be people freaking out about, oh my gosh, there's your your Corvette uh, SUV. And I've seen people making the, the mock-up. We think it's going to look like this renders, which by the yeah. way, mean nothing. We'll see if there's an actual Corvette coming. Uh, I hate the plague of SUVs so much. Agreed. But yet... They all seem to sell. I'll be very curious to see what Buick does with this. Of course, if you don't know already, the reason Buick survived when GM killed a bunch of brands is because Buick is considered an aspirational luxury brand for young Chinese buyers. So it's wildly successful in China. A 1.2-liter turbocharged three-cylinder, I have to think that and this price point, this is designed to be a global car with a heavy, heavy eye on China. Yeah, we'll see probably. how this sells. So that exists. I'm going to move on from that to other things. Uh, your 911 is back. That's nice and cleansing. Uh, <laughs> we have, <laughs> speaking of uh, fun things to drive, not the Buick and Vista. Haven't even driven it. Don't even know. But uh, the Subaru WRX, we have finally driven on camera. Yes. We tried to drive it a year ago, and various things fell apart. We have the WRX versus the Hyundai Elantra N piece. It is very cool. The interesting part of the discussion, there's lots of it, but the interesting part of the discussion is the fact that the Elantra N, of course, has the DCT yep. as their automatic option, and the Subaru has a CVT. The Subaru Performance Transmission. Yes. They only refer to it as the Subaru SPT Automatic. They never 
want to say CVT, but it is. So yeah. that comparison is coming up on this Thursday on our original uh, our original Everyday Driver channel on YouTube. We're very excited about that one. That's one that's been a long time in the making. Again, we tried to make it last year, and things fell apart. So we finally come back around to it. We're really glad to actually put those cars together. And I think when we were doing it before, we were targeting the manuals. And as weird as this sounds, yeah. I'm actually glad to have this SPT to know, to have driven it and to know what it's like so that all that information is coming. We continue to have blip shift shirts right now. It is the Family Recipe shirt, which is a reflection of the beloved Toyota Tacoma. That is available there. You go to Everyday Driver, Store tab. You can get to blip shift right there. You can also go through blip shift directly in the partner stores. Both of those are good. Spring project season is here, and it's time to take care of your old and worn-out brakes. Our friends at PowerStop are offering you, our listeners, a special discount. Whether it's your daily driver or that performance car that's been sitting in the garage during the entire winter, every car deserves low-dust, noise-free performance braking, and PowerStop is here to help. All of April 2023, you can get 15% off all PowerStop brake upgrade kits and components on Auto Anything with promo code EverydayDriver. Just head to AutoAnything.com and fill in your vehicle's information to be matched with complete PowerStop kits and components that come with everything you need for an easy bolt-on installation. Whether you need to refresh the life of your brakes with a stock replacement kit or you want to transform your vehicle's stopping power with carbon fiber ceramic pads, drilled and slotted rotors, whatever you need, PowerStop has the solution for you. Head to AutoAnything.com and save 15% on all PowerStop brake products all month long with code EverydayDriver. Zach D is wondering, how is a fun car supposed to feel? <laughs> okay. That's, that's a great question. It I is mean, a good that, question. Can, that can be all kinds of things. Yes, for sure. I'm laughing because there isn't like a list somewhere. No. Well, if you don't, it doesn't check all these boxes and it isn't, doesn't feel like a fun car. There's not a, there's not a list, but we'll get back into this. Right. Keep going. So he says right now he has a Scion XB first gen and his wife has a Bronco Sport. Okay. Bronco Sport is fun to drive, but despite the, the Scion only having 101 horsepower, he likes to drive that car a lot more. Interesting. It's okay. really interesting. All right. Since I don't really drive it just for fun, I usually drive it to his destination and return and return and have fun while he's doing it. So it's not a, I'm going to go out this weekend and put 100 miles on this for fun. But every no. time he's in it, that's the thing I think is interesting. That Bronco Sport, is, is it's brand new, okay? And the yeah. Scion is very much not, okay? And every time he takes it somewhere, he likes it. Now, he said he's, so that makes him question us and you guys and all of us. This is a great topic, Tuesday, because it doesn't have a conclusion, it's just conversation. His question is, how is a fun car supposed to feel? When he looks at cars, he always thinks the base fun factor is horsepower, and if it's all-wheel drive, and if it's got a manual. Now, it doesn't need to have all-wheel drive to be fun. That is one key thing. But I also think it's funny that you feel like the base factor for a fun car is horsepower, but yet your 101-horsepower Scion you find crazy fun. Yeah, and he also says no matter how good the PDK is, he can't imagine that it can match the, the involvement of a manual transmission. I agree. I mean, I, you're right it doesn't match the involvement, but I think fun factor varies there because there are people who really don't like manuals that much. Now, I like yeah. them, you like them, but there's plenty of people that we know that are car-obsessed and they're fine to never, ever drive a manual. They're fine with it. Well, them. and DCTs and PDKs and the like, they're getting so good now that I think they're involving still. you still got paddles to pull. No, yeah. you don't have a clutch pedal, but you can still have that involvement and engagement of shifting yourself if you, you wanted to. You can at least make the decisions. I mean, there's certainly your body is so much more involved in the three-pedal manual transmission reality that the, the, 
dual clutches just can't even compete with that at all. However, I take your point versus just an automatic where it just decides for itself. You at least, you're still Lord of the car, if you will. Okay. You can still decide things and that does help. Which has me wondering though, does a, did a Scion XB even come in a manual transmission? I think so, but, uh, but I also think it's interesting that you mentioned that it needs to be all wheel drive and it doesn't need to be all wheel drive to be fun. No, I, it doesn't even need to Pick your drive wheels. It doesn't matter. Right. Look at the Fiesta ST for crazy fun front-wheel drive, uh-huh. as is the Elantra N, as is the Civic Type R. All of those are defiantly not all-wheel drive and all or, very fun. Yeah, or rear-wheel drive. Yes, exactly. Then you can go with the 86, of course, rear-wheel drive, but not high power. But none of us are going to argue that that car is not fun. And then, of course, you have all-wheel drive things that can be fun, but they can also be very staid and kind of muted because they have all-wheel drive. Yeah. I think, as I ponder, what makes a car fun and how is a fun car supposed to feel, Zach? This is why this is a great topic Tuesdays. This is a totally personal question. If you lined up five car-obsessed people, what they think is fun about their fun car is going to vary some. True. But I also think it varies based on your life experience and your location. Yes. If you are a person who is living in Texas or anywhere, uh, many parts of Nebraska, which we've driven through, where it's just, there's nothing here but the opportunity to go really, really fast in this straight line. Then I hand you a GR86, and you're going to ask me what the point is. Yeah. Because you're just going to want power. Where is my Hellcat? Where is my Z06 Corvette? Where is my thing with crazy power that I can tune to more power? Because that's the way we get fun. However, watch our hot hatchback piece on our original channel. We are on some of the tightest roads in Malibu. Yeah. And one of the, and I actually mentioned it on camera at one point. I don't care what crazy hyper supercar you brought back there. I don't think anybody would be back there able to drive faster than we were on those roads because they were so tight. Think of it for all of you listening in England. It's like a British B road. They're so tight that power actually becomes irrelevant. Once it gets up and goes, it gets to a speed. The fact that you have power is pointless. Yeah. So are, do you live somewhere where you can do that? Now, we live kind of in the middle. We have some long straights, but we also have a lot of really nice mountain roads. But compared to the, the really tight British B road or the thing in Malibu, they're kind of big sweepers. Mm-hmm. So having some power is nice, but you can really get your the weight shift going. And that's actually the thing that I feel like, for me, if I had to define this, a, a, a fun car is supposed to have wonderful weight shift. Yeah. It's supposed to have great body control. Because if you drive a minivan, which doesn't have great body control, because it's not its point, you kind of go, that got scary. Yeah. You throw it in, the tires are screaming, the kids are probably screaming too, <laughs> yeah. and and the car, it, it feels like you might not make it around this corner. Cheerios are flying everywhere. Yes, for sure. There's something just dented the car from the inside. All of that just <laughs> happened, and you're not sure you're going to make the corner, and that is not fun But versus something like the 86 of the Lotus Elise or whatever that is so dialed in and has weight shift so well controlled, that's fun for me. However, I do agree with that. But however, I do think that there there can be cases where the ridiculous cars can be fun. Sure. Me- meaning the cars that have zero right doing what you're doing in it. Mm-hmm. For example, your Scion XB can yes. be fun because yes. you're driving it like a hooligan and it's just like, what are we doing? An example mm-hmm. I have too is, remember last year in Pilgrimage where everyone was doing the road tour mm-hmm. and the fun cars? Yes. You and I were tailing in the Mercedes Sprinter vans. Yes, we were. And we were just having a heck of a time. trying we, to. You couldn't keep up, we but were it was a lot over of the radios. Fun. We were cackling <laughs> over the radios because they had no business being driven the way we were driving them. Plus, when we were on the Autobahn, well, well over 100 miles an hour in a nine-passenger van. It's funny because you can't believe you're making it do it. 
Yeah. And we just talked about this in the recent Prius Prime review on our Test Drive channel. We talked about making the car do stuff it wasn't intended to. And there definitely is fun there. I think you have to get over a hurdle in that reality where you no longer care about the car. True. Either you've rented it, so of course you don't care, or <laughs> or it isn't precious at all. So if something gets dinged or it doesn't go right, you, you just that never even enters your mind. You just let's just be stupid in this car. Yeah. Then it can be fun. But for cars that you care about, certainly those cars you've aspired to, what makes it fun? And I do think if you're if you're a person who just likes dragging, I want to broaden that term. You just like to go fast and straight line because that's your environment. Mm-hmm. Then buying a lightweight car without much power that has great handling might not feel fun all of a sudden. It will make sense to you, yeah. Yeah. But I think if, if you bring, we bring you to the mountains and we put you in a fun, light, chuckable car, a 4,000-pound Hellcat, you're going to be like, this is, this is not really quite right anymore. It's hysterical right. because, oh, my gosh, I'm a little terrified. But it's not quite right. No. They, they handle okay. Mm-hmm. For, but, amazing for what they, for what are, they, they are. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, for sure. But they're, they're not a Miata. They're not going to have that kind of laughter-inducing, I went around a quarter doing what now? Totally. And I think you have to figure out what feels fun to you, Zach. That's part of it. But I wanted to think about this a couple other ways. Some people just, and I just got back from Disneyland, and we did, of course, some roller coasters. So some people just like that roller coaster launch. Yeah. That I'm sitting here, and or, or I'm already going 50. But if I put my foot to the floor... You're, you got to feel this. This is amazing. And <laughs> right. it just throws you back in your seat. And this is the reason that so many people have laughed so much and done so many drag races with electric cars because it doesn't matter what speed you're going. You're instantly going much, much faster. So that is the thing that electrics do. But some people are obsessed with sound. And I am an oddball here because, you know, Chance and I are on the other ends of the spectrum because his 911 you can hear from a few miles away. It's and loud. It's 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 quite loud, <laughs> and and I'm I'm the guy that put the stock exhaust back on my Elise. Yeah, because I don't I don't need loud. I don't I don't I I, I kind of want to hear the engine, but I don't need loud, and it doesn't connect for me to fun. I can appreciate and laugh at a loud and obnoxious exhaust. Fiat 500 at Bart is a great example. It's a fantastic cackling exhaust. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's very fun. But I don't need that for fun. You, you could be mute. This is the thing where Paul and I disagree on electric cars because he's very concerned about the sound. And I'm like, I don't care. But some people, the sound is paramount, which is why we have all these exhaust companies changing up your exhaust, mm-hmm. making a lot of money. And in some cases, making cars, I will admit, sound wonderful. It's just I don't connect that way. I connect on steering feel and weight, which is why I own a Lotus Elise. It has I like co- those things too. <laughs> completely analog steering. Yeah. So about the most information you can get out of a steering rack is in that car, and it weighs next to nothing. So I feel like I'm driving around raw nerves. There's yeah. constant sensation in that car now. When I road trip it with my son, 100 miles or so in, we need a break. Right. It's all relative. Yeah. That, that's I, I wouldn't want that on a road trip either. Sure. There, yeah. Like I said, there's different levels of fun. And you, if you want to have fun on a road trip, that's not exactly the answer for you. The Cayenne was great. <laughs> sure. Dude, the 2,000-mile trip I just did in the Lotus would not have been nearly as much fun. Yeah. My wife and I actually took our took the 911 down to St. George and back a couple weekends ago. Oh, wow. And it's, it's a four-hour drive one yeah, way. Yeah. And it... it it's noisy, yeah. but as my wife likes to put it, it's appropriately loud. <laughs> She's very taller to be a chance. It's she very is. Good. I like it. That's good. <laughs> Matthew's writing in from Tennessee with a cool car debate. He is writing in and saying he's looking potentially for a second car to join his 2018 Camaro SS 1LE that's already in the garage, and he loves it. This is interesting because... One of the things we talk about a lot is, and I've beat it to death, and that is the everyday driver 
for me, that terminology and the reason we coined it that way is because I want the car you drive every day to be fun. That is yeah. key for me. It's paramount for me. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, as we just talked about, you can't enjoy the Phaeton when I had that. That was fun. There were a lot yeah. of, lot of ter- terrible snowstorms. I was driving that going, yeah, I'm glad to be in this right now. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so fun can, can range. But what's fascinating is Matt has this Camaro SS and loves it. But he realizes he only wants to do fun, dedicated drives in that. Tool for the job. So now he's looking for all of the other times, the commute stuff, and solving that with something else. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you, actually, because as much as I like my 911, it's it can be a bit much sometimes. Yeah, The noise sure. and the yeah. vibration and everything else. There's a lot going on there, yeah. Yeah, and so he's, he's looking for something that he can drive to work, or he actually works from home, so he doesn't drive that much. So I'm not sure why he really needs a second car, to be honest. But he did say he's only had the Camaro for about a year, but he's mm-hmm. put 25,000 miles on it. As, as okay, by the way, twenty five thousand miles, and doesn't commute. Yeah, which so means they're going? all fun drives. Which means this is this is mountain drives, track days, road trips. He lives kind of near Tail of the Dragon, so he 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 puts all these fun miles on it. But he's realizing he wants it to only be fun miles. If he's going to the grocery store, if he's driving around in the winter and there's nasty weather out, he doesn't want to take the Camaro. He wants to let it be in the garage, let it let it sit there and wait for the really good stuff. Yeah. Because this is interesting. He doesn't want to be have it in inclement weather because it is quite powerful. And he also doesn't want to be tooling around in a city getting, well, 12 to 15 miles to the gallon. He's like, we've got to be able to do better than this. So let's put the miles on it for what he likes it for. So that got him thinking. What about an inexpensive daily driver for the boring tasks? But then he went, wait a minute. That can't be boring, though. Yeah. So he still has to have it be some level of fun. It needs to be reliable, decent fuel economy. It'd be nice if it doesn't have terrible consumables. By the way, we're headed toward a total budget of fifteen grand, and he said that that really is the Paul limiter of fifteen grand. He has come up with three potential cars to fit the bill that are very different very different. He's got a Ford Fiesta ST, which yes, you can get it for under 15 grand. The last gen Acura ILX, that was essentially the Civic done so up like, nicely. That's what the Integra is exactly, now. Exactly, exactly right. And the Honda Fit. And then he said his favorite is the the Fiesta ST because of course, he knows it'll be the most fun and everybody raves about it. And he might like it. He doesn't know. He might like it enough to take it on mountain drives like Tail of the Dragon instead of the Camaro. And I'm going to say it goes past might into probably It'll probably would. be more fun on, on a tight road like that than you the You would have so much fun on a really tight road in that Fiesta ST. You would, you would cackle at it because it just it kicks that hind leg up and is so much fun. He said the Acura is appealing because he likes the heated, comfy seats and the premium sound system. Yeah. Okay. Now, he said finding a manual is pretty hard, and I appreciate that, but... The key thing for you, though, is you're wanting it to still be fun, and I don't see you leading with that car as being fun. The other problem is we haven't gotten to it yet, but he's got a $15,000 budget. Yes. You cannot find those in his budget. I looked. Oh, There's did you? Okay. four of them, four okay. manuals on Auto Tempest, and the cheapest one is in his budget, but mm-hmm. it's got 160,000 miles on it. Yeah, that's a question. The rest of them are closer to twenty. All right. Well, there you go. So that's it's a problem. Stretch though. money. Yes, for sure. Which, which is that's what we do here at Everyday Driver. It could almost just be called Stretch Dollars, the podcast. But anyway, <laughs> so he said the fit would be the cheapest to buy and run and keep running, and it would be very, very easy, and he would like it. However, his description is awesome here. It moves at the speed of litigation. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That is fantastic. <laughs> I do like it. Um, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to come to the defense of the fit a little bit. It's right. better than that. That is that is a car that has always been more fun than it deserves to be. Because that's the thing about it. The Honda Fit is not designed to be fun. It's not its purpose. 
No, you and can yet, make it fun. And yet the six-speed manual in that, and you really hoon it, and it actually can be quite fun. But you're right. Not not powerful, not fun. Now, you put and, it next to Fiesta ST, you're going to rather be in the Fiesta ST, but it's not nearly as usable as the Fit. Yeah. You guys may have seen it. I posted it on our Instagram a time or two, Honda Fit on two wheels going over curbs on a racetrack. Yes. It can be done. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And and, and we have people that we know that have autocrossed them to great success just using essentially their stock Honda Fit. So I, I see that. But that is working its way more toward the appliance and less toward the fun car where I the Fiesta ST really shines. And since it's out of your budget and you like the Civic, you said you've had one before. I think it was, what was the year? 2012 Civic yep. SI? Yep. You couldn't get another one of those. True. Within True. your budget. Yeah, yeah. He had a 135 IS, which is interesting. He had that right before the Camaro, which I find that this group. And also he had a, original, his first car was a uh, Volkswagen GLI, which is interesting. So the GLI, the Civic SI Coupe, that, that was a good gen, the 2012. Mm-hmm. The 135 IS, which is almost the 1M. That's actually the version you want of that car, yeah. now the Camaro SS. This is a fascinating list of cars. Keep going. I thought the the Civic Si could be the answer, but since you've already had one, mm-hmm. I kind of want to get you away from that. I also thought GTI, which is also fun and cheap and relatively affordable. Yes, but again, you've had a GLI, which is the same thing with a Jetta body on it yes, instead. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, well, you can you can get WRXs for this budget. The previous gen. Yeah. I was surprised to find previous gen WRXs okay. in this budget. What are the mileage on those though? Uh, under a hundred. Okay. Be be careful of the old used. They, they were yeah. Find a stock they, one if you can. They've probably been hooned quite I don't, a bit. I don't know that that's your answer. It's probably yeah. also the kind of car if you get, you'll want to do things too. Probably. Yeah. Which as a second car, I don't know that's the route the road you want to go down. Um, but the one I actually landed on. Well, I'll get to my wild card first. First, okay. I thought, what about a five hundred Abart? That's actually on my list. Yeah. And the only reason why I had it as a wild card is because they're kind of a reliability question mark. Yeah, somewhat. But I think at this budget point, they'd be good enough. I mean, that yeah. is, that is. here's the thing. We look at our original Fiesta ST versus 500 Abart piece, and that's why it's in there for me. The Abart leads with its personality. Yes. Which it has tons of. It doesn't drive as well as a Fiesta ST. No. But it doesn't drive badly. That's no. the thing. Drive it in isolation. It'd be crazy fun. You would take it on Tail of the Dragon. You'd have a lot of fun. The manual is okay. It's not great. It's okay. But that car just oozes personality. I, I, and that's a car. I may have mentioned it already. Sound is not a huge thing for me, but I love the way those things sound. Yeah, they're and rowdy. And that is a good amount of its personality. I describe it as like owning a small dragon, both pros and cons. <laughs> so I think the 500 Abart is really something you should look at very seriously. I think... Of of the ones you brought up, I think Fiesta ST was my favorite, and then that made me think you gotta cross drive that with the Abart. I agree, but the one I, I landed on, it's I'm gonna pull Paul here. You gotta go up to about twenty grand to find them. <laughs> <laughs> That's is it something about sitting in that chair? It must be. It's something about sitting in that chair. You're just like it's like a tractor beam I budget, and you go over whatever. It. But you're not far off from a Veloster N. You can get those the bottom oh, the bottom of the barrel. You can get for about twenty. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I like that. That's good. Now, that is the slightly bigger, more usable car in the same vein as the Fiesta ST. Yes, it's still got the rowdy exhaust, and it's yep. fun. It's not as, maybe not as fun as the Fiesta ST. But it's close. But it's really darn close. The only reason it's not is just because it's actually a little bit bigger car. I think it, you know, that's really the only thing that mutes it at all from the Fiesta yeah. ST. The Fiesta ST gets away with the fact that it is really little. It's one of the reasons it's more fun than the, than the Focus ST. It's because yes. Fiesta is just a really small package. But think about this. If this is the car that you're going to use for random errands, Matthew, keep in mind that the Fiesta ST, it's not a nice interior. It is a, no. it is a economy car interior. 
that's part of why I like the Veloster is it's a lot nicer inside. It does feel nicer inside. I agree with that. And that is definitely a step up. Okay. All right. I mean, you added, I'm adding, you added seriously to the budget. But I'm I adding a point. bit. But. All right. Good. I, I have a couple others for you, Matthew. First off, one that I thought of that once you were talking about things like the Honda Fit, but you wanted gas mileage and reliability and maybe a little bit of fun. I thought about this. It's, I've got two wild cards for you, and this is one of them. The Honda CRZ. Mm, yeah. Now, that's a hybrid. Now, that is not a car that was designed for fun first, but it is more fun than the Honda Fit. But it maintains Honda's really good six-speed manual. Of course, its purpose is to get you good gas mileage. Yeah. You don't see them very often. They're interesting looking. They've got a fantastic six-speed. I think that's a consideration. I would I would push you unless you need the storage of the Fit. And or the frankly, space. Exactly. Nothing really has the storage capability of the Fit. That It was phenomenal at that. Or cup holders. Yeah, <laughs> Honda's good with all of that, yes. So unless you need that, I think the CRZ is a more interesting option. But then I have a wild card for you because I was just looking at how you want to use this, Matt. It's mainly going to be your runabout. Yeah. It's going to be your your Aaron's car. What about the antithesis of your Camaro and get yourself a BMW i3? Interesting. You have BMW history. Yeah. You get an i3. It is the total counterpoint to your Camaro. Now, the problem with it is you cannot get it in a manual, and you've said manual only. And I'm wondering if, I, I, it's not a direct cross, but I'm wondering if, does quirky electric make up for not being manual in this car? I don't know. Because you have the big, raucous, awesome manual in your SS. Yeah. And since the purpose of this car is, as you've said, kind of sitting in traffic and doing the boring driving, are you going to miss the manual that much? Could you get by with a BMW i3 and now have an electric car, by the way, still real-real drive, Yeah, and BMW, which you have a history with, couldn't be more different than your Camaro in every possible way, which is why it's firmly in wildcard category for me, but I have to put it there. It wouldn't steal the Camaro's thunder. Not at all. Either. Not at all. But I think it would. It, you're, you're looking at the opposite tool to what you have, and I wonder if that just might pull it off. I also wondered about the Bolt. I forgot to look up prices for those. I know they've come down, but I don't think they're quite that I don't low. I think they're 15. I mean, you could get a Volt for that, but the Volt, I mean, at that point. It's I mean, a lot less interesting. Yeah, it's less interesting than the i3, which is, you know, and they're solid cars, but they're just, yeah. we're getting further away from interesting stuff. We have some great audience questions. Thank you, guys. But before we dive into them, I have to ask you a little bit further, Chance. What, so what all has gone on with the 911 since the last time you were on? What what actually happened? Because I think the last that we really covered was the fact that on our Utah meetup a few years back, you were doing fantastic, fun stuff on track until the engine decided it didn't want to play anymore. Yeah, I, I had that moment where you're having the best and the worst experience on a racetrack all within about five seconds. <laughs> Just to, to refresh, I was chasing Paul around in his Cayman. I yes, was in were. my car. Mm -hmm. And... We were going, I don't know, we'd been on track for probably 20 minutes at this point. Back end of a session, yeah. And I realized that I forgot to turn the GoPro on. Okay. So I reach up, turn the GoPro on. Three corners later, the engine goes. Oh. So. Well, at least you have it on camera. I have it on camera. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't have any of that fun we had with Paul before that, <laughs> which was unfortunate because we were, we were booking it around that track you guys were flying around the track i was in my lotus i was not running at your speeds i was across the track from you when your engine went and it looked like a james bond smokescreen yeah a friend of mine said i should put that in the put the theme music underneath the smokescreen totally yeah um but yeah that happened uh spent about a year trying to find well i had an engine fall in my lap really is what happened 
um, throughout. <laughs> yes, not 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 for free, but yes, it was still a good no, option. No, but yes, yeah. throughout COVID, with all the the shortages and everything, Porsche stopped making short blocks for mm. other cars that they're mm. not currently selling. So I posted in a. There's actually a 911 engine builders group on Facebook for the 996. Is. Of course there is. I posted in there. It's like, hey, where are you guys getting engines right now? Because dealer can't. I can't <laughs> get it from the dealer. Go? Yeah. I just wanted to know what prices and what was available. I couldn't yeah, yeah. afford one yet. But yeah. um, then I had Jake Raby from Flat 6 Innovations, who is probably the premier engine builder for 996s in the country, reach out to wow. me. He's like, hey, I just took out a 72,000-mile motor. That runs way too good for me to rebuild. Do you want it? And it was like, <laughs> well, yes, but how much is this going to cost me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and looking it over, he gave he basically charged me a core charge for mm. this short block. It had wow. none of the accessories on it or anything. Yeah, yeah. And it was a deal that I had to take. Sure, sure. I wasn't ready for it, but I had to take it. Yeah, knowing knowing what the market was, for sure. I get yeah. that, yeah. So I bought it. It was shipped from Georgia, came over here. We put it in. Uh, actually, Andy, huge shout out to him for the help he gave me. He's Andy, who Andy's helped. Andy, who helped Paul. Yes. Build all, the 928. All of Paul's madness in the 928 was also Andy, I, which makes me think that Andy's just a bad influence. But Andy was very <laughs> helpful. Yeah, for sure. He was very helpful. Let me use his shop, and he helped me kind of through some of the bigger steps. Yeah, yeah. Putting the engine in myself. Wow. We got the engine in. Fired right up, but ran really, really poorly. Mm-hmm. It was misfiring. It sounded like a vacuum leak. We couldn't really tell. Okay. Turned out it was both. Well, at least you diagnosed it properly. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So it turned out that there were two vacuum lines that were in the back that you can't really reach without Ooh. getting underneath the car again. Two air uh, vacuum lines that I didn't hook up properly, okay. or they fell okay. off, or sure, not sure, at sure. all, or they, yeah, yeah. they were unhooked. Yeah. So there's a vacuum leak. Okay. The other thing, we, we actually tested this in the process. We thought was the, the check engine light code was for a cam position sensor. The new engine had the old, its cam sensors on it, so we just used those ones. Sure. I, I swapped my old one for my blown up engine okay. onto this one that just ruled that out. Mm-hmm. Saw no change. So I was like, okay, it's not that. Ended up taking it to a shop afterwards. He tested both sensors, and they were both bad. <laughs> <laughs> what What I like here is proper diagnosis, but yet you just you couldn't get over the extra hump, which this is the benefit of mechanics. Yeah. I get it. I do understand, yeah. Yeah, so ultimately the money I ended up saving by doing it myself, I ended up spending to have corrected down the road. Yes, project cars, ladies and gentlemen. They, but, this is what they do. But yeah. I have the benefit of I took it out myself. I know yeah. the engine a lot better than yeah, I did you before. Do. Yeah, you do. Um, we also took apart the old engine just to see kind of what the carnage was like. Yes. Um, it was not an IMS bearing, <laughs> before you ask. <laughs> it was actually bore scoring, oh. which happens from there's a coating on the pistons yeah. and the inside of the cylinders that was not up to snuff. What was the mileage on that engine, though? One hundred ninety-one thousand. So yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not like it was fresh. I want to. I want to duck any potential panic. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, nearly two hundred thousand miles I mean, on I that put engine. Fifty thousand miles on I know it myself. You did. I know you did. Yeah. Bore scoring is one of those things that it can happen at any time, but mm-hmm. it, it it's an ongoing thing. Sure. It it's not going to go in a heartbeat. Yeah. When it finally does, it does. Yeah. But you can catch it and start preventing it from happening. 
I didn't. <laughs> well, but but you but again to your point, you bought the car at one hundred and forty thousand miles, and you put fifty thousand miles on it, and the engine went at nearly two hundred thousand miles after how, like three years of track days and canyon running, and which makes me ask the question also: How many cars out there with that kind of lifespan being driven hard on track wouldn't have the engine let go for some reason at around two hundred thousand miles? I, and I'm just saying this because this is the era of Porsche that people like to to look down on a lot because it because of the IMS and the Bors scoring and that kind of stuff. And I have to think most cars with that lifespan would have probably had a catastrophic event. Yeah. And most of the things that had happened to the car throughout that time period leading up to it would have happened to any car too. They were wear issues. I get that yeah. totally. So, but yeah, the engine, I had bore scoring in two of the cylinders okay. opposite sides. All right. And so it cracked the cylinders. Mm. Like they call it de-chunking. Several chunks came out because it's kind of a D-shaped de-chunking. chunk. De-chunking. It de-chunked the cylinders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's just, that's fantastic Porsche speak yeah. for this. Anyway, on A third cylinder through rod, which one is oh. cause and effect, I don't know. And then the block cracked most of the way down it. So now you so have a fantastic coffee table I, and a story. Well, yeah. the, the heads were good. I sold the heads. Okay, got it. I got half my money back just good. by selling the heads. Thank good. goodness. Yeah. But then I took the engine block to the recycle center and got like 20 bucks for it. <laughs> <laughs> What's this worth? I'll give you a 20. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. But you have that car back and running now. It's back and running. You haven't had it on track yet though, right? No. Is that in the plan? I do plan to eventually. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it, you heard it here. It's, it's back got, and running. It does have an oil leak I need to address before I put it on track again. But okay. that is the plan. Engines, Porsches and engines. Apparently, this is the only thing I haven't done that I'm supposed to do as part of everyday drivers. Take an engine out of a Porsche. Please, dear Lord, I don't want to do that. Not on your Cayenne, anyway, that's I, for sure. I don't want to do any of that at all. All right, we're going to move on to audience questions. Thank you guys for writing in, as always. Great stuff here. I'm going to start here with Sharif writing in on Facebook. He said he really loved the hot hatch piece. Thank you. We had a lot of fun making that one. We've got a lot of really big comparisons coming up. So I hope you're tuning in because uh, they're going to – just a reminder, they are not coming to television this year. So all the big stuff, the TV feeling stuff – is going to go directly to our original Everyday Driver YouTube channel. So youtube.com slash Everyday Driver is going to be those big comparisons. We have stuff coming up on pretty much all of the cars we've been excited about for this calendar year are either on the calendar right now or we're currently chasing them. We've got a lot going on right now. We do. And we have a couple of road trips. Apparently road trips are a thing now. We have a couple of road trips that we're going to do later this year. I cannot announce the cars yet, but there will be cars going on road trips that are different than the cars we've taken so far. I'm about to do kind of a a long goodbye video for the 300ZX because that is going to go out at some point in the near future. Uh, Heads up on that. The intention is that that will go to a patron so if you are not a patron of Everyday Driver, you can get to Everyday Driver channel. You can get to the patron uh, opportunities by going to our actual website, everydaydriver.com. You can see the patron button there. That gets you on our Discord channel. Mm-hmm. We have other changes coming for patrons that I can't announce yet that's working on it. But one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to make that car available to patrons only. There's behind-the-scenes stuff going on. But just letting you know, if you're interested in my 300ZX, <clears throat> hint, hint, it is going to be sold sometime probably in May. And it will go to somebody that is a fantastic patron of our show, and I'm excited about that. It's not being given away. No. I want to clarify. It's going to be auctioned, but we're going to keep it tight to patrons. So that's going to happen. I'm very curious to see how that goes. It's all news to me, but uh, we're going to do it see if we can keep it in-house here. So Sharif is asking specifically about the Type R because he watched our hot hatch piece, and we talked a mm. lot in there about the fact that the new Type R is, well, it's quite stiff. Yes. Uh, it, it, here's the thing. In comfort mode, it's stiff. 
you get to R mode, it's absurd. You can see when you when you switch it to R mode, you mm-hmm. can see the camera start shaking a lot more. It's it's pretty incredible. It's it's amazing how how crazy it is. He's asking about the prior gen. He's saying we talked about how good comfort mode was in the prior gen, and because you can get those for thirty to forty grand. Now, first off, I'm amazed that the prior type are used is still going for that no much. No kidding. But he said you can get them for thirty to forty grand, and when you consider that compared to the horrific should be criminal markups that are happening to current type R's. Would the prior type R be a better choice for something you might daily? This is a fantastic question. That's a good question. I, I want to tackle it two different ways. First off, in comfort mode, the new type R, the brand new one we just drove, in comfort mode is acceptable. If you are a yeah. person who drives, who's used to driving sporty cars, you will find comfort mode acceptable. It is not supple. It is not something I would define as comfortable. No. But I'm a sports car guy, so I'm fine with it. Comfort it's fitting. Mode is, yeah, comfort mode is fine. It doesn't feel, I don't think, as easygoing as comfort mode did on the prior Type R if you went down to smaller wheels. Because mm. it came with those big, what were they? 19s, 19s or something. 19s or 20s, and people went down to 18s and got a lot better ride out of it. It was decent even on the crazy big wheels in comfort mode. I actually think, I didn't have them back-to-back, so I don't know. I actually think it might be a tiny bit more comfortable than the new Type R in comfort mode. The difference is when you go out of comfort mode in the new one, sport mode is really crazy stiff. And R mode, unless it was like spa, I don't know what track it was made for. I don't either. Because I don't think I've ever been on a racetrack that is smooth enough for R mode (laughs) to never rattle your teeth at some point. Well, and I'm more... more Okay with stiff cars than mm-hmm. you guys than you are anyway. Yeah, I'm more tolerant of it. Sure. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. That car was too stiff for me, which is saying a lot. Yeah, it's saying a whole lot. So that is the thing. I, I think Sharif, it's okay at the bottom ends, but it's too much at the top end. But if you were buying it as a as a new kind of fun daily, yeah, why not get the prior gen if you like the styling? Get the prior gen. By the way, the car always looked amazing in blue. I'm putting it out there. Agreed. Get the prior gen and leave it in comfort mode. I think you'd be surprised at what a great fun daily that is. Uh, Shadow Blue over on Discord is asking me what a typical day is like when I'm taking pictures at a racetrack. Oh, that's a good one. That was a great question. I like that. I'm actually, this year I started uh, shooting for a race team called Mm -hmm. Palomar Racing. We're doing all the World Racing League races, Mm -hmm. mostly on the east side of the country. Next up for us is Road America. So they do back-to-back eight-hour races, Saturday and Sunday. Wow. Two endurance races, and they get hectic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 i'm i'm i started shooting with these guys in the middle of last year mm-hmm. did a couple of events with them including thunderhill 25 hours of thunderhill which was man oh man chaos but this past race was at mid ohio and the team had multiple issues it was their first time running both cars this year endurance racing got with it yes brand new engines and one wow. of them blew the engine on track oh. this year or this this race um, so it's a lot of back and forth. So you're trying to cover the cars on track, mm-hmm. but you're also trying to make sure you're available to shoot pit stops and wow. anything going on in the garage when they're repairing things like splitters that have fallen off or whatever the case sure. is. Yeah, yeah. So the days have been starting. You're there at the track at 7 a.m. Sure. I get there. I'm fortunate enough that I get to travel with the team and lodge with the team. So mm-hmm. I, I go back and forth with them. Yeah. So I arrive with the drivers mm-hmm. and I leave with the drivers. Okay. We get there at like 7, which is about an hour before grid. Sure. So they can get the cars ready. I can get them getting the cars ready, yeah, yeah. wheeling the car out there. 
and then I try and make it to turn one typically or wherever the mm. interesting race start. Each okay. track has its own spot that you want to catch the race start from where yeah. the chaos can happen. Um, so I try and cover that. And then I work my way around until around lunchtime-ish or when I get tired or hungry or something and need a break. <laughs> need a different pair <laughs> of shoes. That's happened of, before. Yeah, yeah, that has happened before too. Uh, and then you, you just chase the light around the track basically. But okay. I have to make sure that I'm able to go get at least one pit stop and driver change throughout the weekend mm-hmm. as well as cover whatever's going on in the garage, getting the cars ready, perhaps, wow. and so that everyone, every member of the team has at least something of them being there. What's a, what's a rough average of the amount of photos you take in a weekend like that? A lot. It, yeah. it depends. This one was a little light compared to the last, but I'm, I'm pushing on average three to 5,000 that I wow. go through, but then I, I'm only using of course 300 of those throughout of the whole weekend, hundred yeah. a day, give or take. They, the, kind of loose industry standard they say is if you're using about 10% of your shots, you're, yeah. you're doing okay. I end up using somewhere between 15 and 20. Can you imagine swapping out film rolls? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's crazy, you, you think about that, and I'm just covering like little amateur kind of stuff. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like, this series is kind of like, if you think of it in baseball terms, this is double A. Okay. NASA I'd put as first. Sure. This is a little higher up. Then yeah, you yeah. got the, you know, IMSA and whatever out and up. Yeah, yeah. But you like think about the Olympic events. I don't yeah. know if you've read articles about their setups. They've got Wi-Fi at every event. The cameras they're using that the photographers are using are all hooked up to that Wi-Fi. So every time they hit a shutter button, that picture is automatically sent to an editor in the media room, and it can be uploaded onto the internet within about 90 seconds of wow. the picture being taken. And it's yeah. getting faster and faster every time. Yeah, that's just nuts. It's man, crazy. Man. I don't have that ability. <laughs> <laughs> it usually takes me till the end of the day. It's <laughs> just a little more time, but at least you're not loading film. Revs up on Instagram is asking a question about low friction driving. He said, if you take your car one. out on low friction service, he's saying rain or a snow-covered empty parking lot, whatever, and you're practicing essentially car control. You kick the tail out, you're sliding around, you're doing all this, you're practice catching it. Does this actually have any useful help as a skill for in a dry situation at real world speeds like autocrossing or a track day, or is it different, too different due to the speeds involved? Revs up, I think, and I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts here too, Chance. I think this is vitally helpful. I agree. I think it can only be helpful because what you're, what you're figuring out, here's the thing I think that it teaches that, it, that absolutely translate. Where are your eyes and what are your instincts? Yeah. Because if you if you ingrain those where you need to look where you want to put the car, not look at the pole, look where you want to put right. the car and have the instinct for knowing how to control the car to put it where your eyes are looking, that will translate with speed. Yeah. And the other thing I think that happens when you do empty parking lot stuff, yeah, you're going slow. You're going first gear, maybe beginning of second gear, you're going 20 or so, whatever. The difference when you get up to speed at it is, I don't think the car motions change that much. It's just the distance you're covering is changing. A lot. So that's the big change is it's not the, the, the way at which the car is moving and how it's moving over time. Look at, uh, look, it's not, this is the perfect example and not a real example, but look at the Chris Harris drifts. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're these huge, long things. But if you look at the amount of motion the car is making sideways, it's not a lot. It's just covering a ton of ground. Yeah. So here you are in a parking lot. You may cover a tenth of that amount of ground, but you had the same amount of car motion off of a normal straight line. So I think it absolutely translates. It's worth doing. I do it in every car we get in the winter as much as I possibly can because I'm always fascinated to see how different chassis handle those moments. 
Especially in the winter, because then you know what the roads are going to be like and how when you do hit that ice patch, yes. you know what the car is going to do. Absolutely. And what's nice about doing it in the slick rain or wintry moments is every, in a parking lot anyway, yeah. everything's in slow motion. Absolutely. So you, yeah. you, have, you have a little more time to react to things. Mm-hmm. And as you, you know, graduate to doing on pavement in the dry your reactions will end up getting quicker. It's the same motions. Exactly. But things are happening a lot quicker. And that's that's how when you step up to faster and faster cars, everything gets faster and faster and faster. Even though it's the same inputs and movements, those those carry over. And something I've noticed with all the cars we get to drive, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the the slow things or if it's the crazy fast things, driving them's not that difficult to get to about the limit. It's all about the same, but things happen a lot faster. And so it's your reaction times that are more important yes. than anything else. And if it goes wrong in the really high end stuff, you were going at a level yes. that you probably won't get back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Michael H on Facebook is asking a question that I think I think is going to come down to the person, but he's saying Lotus Exige mm. or Porsche Cayman GT4. Mm, interesting. Which feels more special? Looking for a weekend fun track time car with has should, an affinity for them both. Should we get Paul back in here? And you we, guys can we argue sh- about we it. Sh- we shouldn't. We should. Here, here's the thing, <laughs> Michael. I'm going to say this to you. The GT4 is going to be much more straightforward to own and live with. Yeah, it's also absolutely. less special as far as like, oh, you have one of those because to the uninitiated, your GT4 is a Cayman. And somebody else at the track has a Cayman. There may be multiple Caymans. You go to Cars and Coffee, there's going to be a, a dozen of them. You go to Autocross or Track Time or whatever. There are many Caymans here. Yeah. And some of the 911 guys will look down down at you, but whatever. So uh, <laughs> the Cayman is a known thing. You pull up in an Exige and people kind of go, oh, interesting. Yeah. You have one of those. You will get a much more raw, much more unique experience out of an Exige than you will in a GT4. That doesn't mean it's better. No, I would pick the Exige because I like that small, light, quirky chassis so much, and I find it much more engaging and interesting than the GT4. But the GT4 will eat the Exige for lunch. Oh yeah, the GT4 as far as sheer speed. If you're yeah. going for lap times, GT4 all day long. Yeah, agreed. If you're going for the experience and just the the difficultness too, I would say, I'd say the the Exige. Peter, are you there? Is asking. He noticed watching our GR Corolla reviews that it does not have a center armrest. He's wondering if that bothered us because, you know, manual transmission and mm-hmm. is that a problem? I actually say no. I don't use the center armrest that much. It's anyway. interesting that you say that because there is a contingent online and they they show up in the comments of any video where the car does not have a great center armrest. And they essentially say, and I'm not saying this is Peter, but I've seen these questions. They yeah. essentially say comments that, that are like, well, with no center armrest, I'd never buy it. And I'm always like, really? Now, everybody's different. But the way that I end up putting my seat and the wheel, unless it's something like, the Phaeton or my wife's Cayenne or something that is more of a cruiser car, I'm never. I don't have either elbow on an armrest. No, because I'm holding on at nine and three, and I just drive with my elbows hovering. And I honestly, until people pointed out on the Corolla, I never even. Thought I didn't about either it. until this comment. Like, oh. I, I think it really comes down to Peter. It comes down to how do you engage with a car, and if that is your standard driving position where you need it, you will miss it. Yes, but I never missed it once. I never use it anyway. I think it's fine. Now, I will say, if I'm just cruising around, I'll use armrests and things for sure. my elbows. But if if I'm, you know, honing, I don't want that in the way. Sure. That's something yeah. else for my, my long elbows to reach and whack. <laughs> I see. That, it, yeah. That's just a problem. Speaking of ergonomics, Bob is asking about his GR86. He says, 
he loves his GR86. He's recently got one, and I'm congratulating you for it. That's awesome. He said he likes to heel toe, but he said this car's the pedals are too far apart. He said the last time he remembers having a car where he could heel toe, he would put the ball of his foot on the brake, and like his pinky toe, the right side of his foot, that edge would be on the accelerator. Bob, I hear you. Those days are gone. You have to think about the fact that most cars now have spread their pedals out from the way they used to be because of unintended acceleration. Yeah, that's part of it. Unless you go back to classic cars or tiny cars. My Elise, I can drive like you're talking about, Bob. The pedals are so close together. I have had people that have actually gotten in it and told me they wouldn't be comfortable driving it because they end up hitting too many pedals at once. The pedals are very close on the Elise. And I can do ball of my foot and the 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 pinky toe of my of my foot and do actual heel towing that way, which isn't is that like that's like ball toe? I don't know what that is. Right. But <laughs> Most of the time what I'm doing is I am breaking with the ball of my foot and I'm actually using part of my heel to actually get on the accelerator. It may be somewhere midfoot, but I can't get just the far edge of my foot because it, the pedal's too far away. That was true of the 86. It's true of most modern sports cars I can think of where I do heel toe. I don't know what your experience has been, Paul, uh, Chance, but I think that all of the uh, all of my heel toe is the pedal's just wider. For me personally, I mean, I've, I've set funny in the car to begin with because of my long legs. Sure. But... I use the ball on my foot and then I'm rotating my, my leg outward. So my heel is about yes. to a 45 degree angle yes, to reach, absolutely. The, reach the pedal. And absolutely. some people don't twist that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some people that's harder to do. Uh, that doesn't work for you. No, I t- I, I'm, I'm doing something very similar to what you're talking about. I'm, I'm moving my heel around like that. I think, you know, I, I've noticed that we've, we've actually made comments about the Honda civics because I find it difficult to heel toe because the pedals are even farther apart than I'm used to. But even modern, really good sports cars, I feel like they're farther apart than they used to be. And they're farther apart than my Elise for sure. Last question for me, Michael is writing in Michael W on Facebook and saying he just picked up a car and it has Pirelli performance all seasons on it with some life in them. Does he live with them or get a set he really wants, which is he wants some PS 4s So basically some all high performance summer rubber on there. Mm. Uh, Michael, I think it depends on your usage of this car. We're headed into when we were having the great melt here, so we might have some decent roads sometime soon. Sometime this calendar year would be good. But he's, I think if you're going to use this car as a daily, mostly as a daily, just leave the all seasons on it. Use the tire wear. Yeah. But if your purpose of it is, I really want to go drive this car hard, I want to see what it can do, then you're going to need to get some more high-performance tires. Agreed. Um, two more for me. Okay, One's great. more of a shout out. Derek Miller is actually doing a shout out for Auto Tempest. Yeah, I saw this. It's cool. <laughs> he said he realized he'd missed his doing his homework and he fixed that. But on Saturday, he took his son out with t- to do a test drive on an MP412C that he had found. A McLaren. Very cool. Good yeah. find, man. That's great. But he said he'd looked other places, and that was the only place that listing showed up was on Auto Tempest. That's interesting, Derek. I'm glad you found it. I hope you and your son had a great time doing that. That sounds fun. The other is from Legend over on Discord. He's asking about tuning out a class and what kind of mods do we exclude from that? So what kind of things can we do to our cars that, that won't be make it tuning out a class? Tires, brakes, brake fluid. That's kind of what it – and driver yeah. mod. Driver oh, mod. Is dri- driver mod, one. yes. You, you, here's the thing. I will actually say that. Thank you for bringing that up. I think you can spend unlimited money on driver mod. I agree with that, yeah. There is no such thing as tuning out of class for driver education. <laughs> you just keep throwing money at it. But, yeah, you know, I mean, every car is going to vary. But, and, and I'll even put wheels in there because I'm a wheel geek. But you know, wheels, tires, brakes, brake fluid, that's very straightforward and stuff that you can definitely feel a difference. I mean, that's what we did to our 86. Yeah. And we all noticed a difference. 
we, we didn't even get any minor suspension components. We noticed a difference just doing that. The, the, the wheels were wider, so the tires were wider. The tires were more high performance. We got the good brake kit from PowerStop, and then we went up to the track kit, high-temperature high brake fluid, and the car felt significantly different when pushed hard. Yeah, it did. And we didn't spend that much. No. I will say there is a difference between doing it to a brand new car versus doing it to an older car that you've had a while. Maybe you've already paid off and sure. spreading that out over five, ten years. This is the reality of tuning. Is Which the is what tuning is. Yeah, it's, well, it's snowballs. Do it over time. And then I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep beating this drum. My issue with tuning is trying to make a car into something it was never intended to be. Yeah. Unless you're me and it's a Prius for a laugh. But that's something we can only do because we do this crazy show. <laughs> the average person buying a car, you're not going to make it into something it shouldn't be for the laugh. That's true. It's because you're trying to make it, well, I need this to be a drag car. And I'm going, it's the wrong car for a drag car. I need it to be lightweight and really good at, at autocross. You bought a family sedan. I mean, there, there, there's, yeah. there's limitations. If you have a focused idea you need a car to do and it was never intended for it, trying to make it do it, it'll never do it as well as buying the tool that was designed to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I still think driver mod is, of course, always should be your first mod. And Don't touch the car until you've gotten a feel for it. Don't be the guy that buys that. the brand new Corvette and sends it off to Hennessy or wherever and yes. give it a thousand horsepower. And then you never drive it because it scares you. Yes. Well, and you had no idea what the difference is between what you had before. I mean, yeah. I, that's one of the things we've said many times on this podcast is have a car three months minimum, but I recommend six where you've done nothing to it, but just drive it. Yeah. So then if you do anything, you also have to do it incrementally. So you can not, don't do 12 things at once, do things at a, a small time so you can actually be like, oh, well, that, that is interesting how that changed that. That's fascinating. It's a rabbit hole. Anyway, okay. Well, guys, <laughs> thank you so much for joining. Chance, thanks for joining on of this course. podcast. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you back. And hearing 9-11 stories and hearing you talking track makes me want to track. We are going tracking soon. We are headed to Pilgrimage, Germany, and Belgium. That is the Ring and Spa. The first week of June, we have a sold-out trip. I am so excited to go. I've We're been like, thinking what, about six weeks away. It's crazy how early it is this year. It's always a fall trip for us. We're going really early this mm-hmm. year, which is very exciting. We are back a week, and we go on our Utah adventure, which yeah. is going to be amazing. Another sold-out trip. There are still a few spaces available for our, our big Colorado adventure that is happening in September. We have found out now it is happening in September at the same weekend of two other major events in the Telluride area, including their equivalent of like uh, Monterey Car Week, is happening the weekend we oh, are yeah. there in Telluride, which should be amazing. This is a higher-end trip with high-end hotels. It's designed to be spouse-friendly. It will be a fantastic amount of driving, but also just a fun experience. If you're interested in that trip, there are still spaces available. I cannot believe we are doing three three trips this year and they are all essentially full. I mean, yeah. again, a few spaces in Colorado, but not much. So thank you guys for your interest. There will be more coming. Again, we will have road trips happening. When we do those road trips, we'll hopefully do a few meetups if we can. We like to do meetups in locations where we have the time and we wind up somewhere anyway, but that's always schedule dependent. But no matter what, thank you guys for writing in, sending in your car debates and your topic Tuesdays. Those go to TV at gmail. Your questions, that's where the social media stuff is. Please don't send us car debates through social media just because they won't get in the right pile. That's really what happens there. If you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. So many people find it because they find top 10 rated automotive podcasts. They just Google that way and they look that way and they're reading your ratings and reviews and they're finding it that way. We get emails like that all the time. I just found you guys. It's really great. So thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can support it through patreon.com. Again, you can do that through our website. That gets you access to our Discord server, which has a life of its own. 
Yes, it does. You have brought many good questions from the Discord server today, Chance. We have some other stuff coming up for those folks. That is a really great community. Other drives have happened as a result of Discord that have nothing to do with Paul and I. Yeah, they've Just, got a Tale of the Dragon one coming up soon if they all haven't done the it time. already. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping actually to do a ter- Tale of the Dragon movie at some point, and I'm sure there'll be people that want to join us for that, and that'd be cool. Until then, people keep meeting up on the weekends. I mean, you guys have nice roads already. We don't yet. So anyway, you keep meeting up and having great drives, and I'm already jealous, and that's happening through Discord. Thank you guys, as always, for being with us, and we look forward to next time. I have to say it now, don't I? Yeah, unless you want me to. I'll do it. Cheers, everyone.